Welcome to Let's Review RN. My name is Bryn O'Donnell, and I'm a certified adult and geriatric nurse practitioner. I work as a cardiology APN and function as a visiting professor and clinical instructor for a BSN program. This is an independent production by myself, and I am not representing any educational institution. My goal is to deliver a condensed but robust review on topics primarily discussed in Adult Health 1 and 2 and some pieces of pharmacology of a bachelor degree nursing program. Over the years, I've learned that students have an immense amount of confusion and questions when they leave didactic, which makes applying what they are learning nearly impossible to the clinical setting. I want to break down the basics so that you can continue to build upon your knowledge and put the pieces together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Let's Review RN. Today, we're going to talk about implantable cardiac pacemakers. There are different ways that we can pace the heart, whether that be transcutaneous, meaning through the skin, that allows for ventricular pacing only, transvenous pacing, which is a temporary pacing wire that is fed through the right atrium into the right ventricle and allows for right ventricular pacing. Epicardial wires can be placed on the epicardial surface of the heart to allow for atrial A and ventricular V pacing. For the purpose of today's podcast, we will eat we will be talking about permanent implantable pacemakers. A pacemaker is a medical device that is implanted subcutaneously and generates controlled electrical impulses delivered by electrodes to initiate heart muscle contraction. It is used to help your heart beat more regularly if you have arrhythmias, which means irregular heartbeat, or sinus bradycardia, which is when the heart beats at less than 60 beats per minute. A pacemaker's primary goal is to restore normal activity and improve cardiac output. The pacemaker is made up of both the pulse generator, which is the small electrical box that is most often implanted at the left anterior chest wall, and the pacing leads that carry out the electrical signals to the specific chambers of the heart they are placed. The pacemaker acts as a watchful eye and monitors electrical activity of the heart. It tailors its function based on the needs of the heart, and therefore, if the heart's intrinsic, meaning naturally or on its own, rate and rhythm is functioning normally, then the pacemaker will not interfere. The battery of a pacemaker can last approximately 5 to 10 years and can vary due to the amount that the heart actually uses or needs pacing. Patients that use the pacemaker 5% of the time may not need a generator change for at least 10 years, but a patient who is pacemaker dependent, meaning they need the pacemaker to regulate every heartbeat, may require a generator change at five years time frame. A few of the most common indications for a pacemaker are symptomatic bradycardia, significant bradycardia induced by medications, but the patient requires medication for something like heart failure, Heart failure itself can be an indication for permanent pacemaker when biventricular pacing is needed to synchronize the heart to improve cardiac output. Mobitz type 2 AV block and third degree AV block are also indications. Now, when we talk about pacemakers, we have to understand that there are multiple configurations that can occur. There are single chamber pacemakers, dual chamber pacemakers, and biventricular pacemakers. With a single chamber pacemaker, the leads can be placed in either the right atrium or the right ventricle. If the atrioventricular conduction system, the AV conduction system, is normal, 
and the single lead then can be placed in the right atrium. This causes depolarization of the right atrium and stimulates the left atrium to contract, and the electrical pulse continues through the AV node to the bundle of Hiss and down the Purkinje fiber, stimulating ventricular contraction. If AV conduction abnormality exists, then the patient will receive a ventricular single lead pacemaker, which means the lead is positioned in the right ventricle. This is primarily used to generate a reliable heart rate in patients with chronic atrial fibrillation that experience a slow ventricular response, meaning they have a slow heartbeat. There's no need in this situation to stimulate the atrium with an atrial lead due to chronic atrial fibrillation. A dual chamber pacemaker has leads inserted in both the right atrium and the right ventricle and allows for the normal physiological delay between the atrial contraction and the ventricular contraction. This ultimately helps to synchronize contractions and increase cardiac output. Biventricular pacing allows for cardiac resynchronization therapy in severe heart failure patients by synchronizing the chambers of the heart and maximizing that cardiac output. In patients with ventricular conduction delay, such as a bundle branch block, the patient can benefit from biventricular pacing to help synchronize the left ventricle and the right ventricle. There are actually three leads placed in a biventricular pacer, um, sometimes referred to as a triple chamber pacemaker, and this means there's a pacemaker lead in the right atrium, the right ventricle, and the left ventricle. Conduction disturbances results in dyssynchronization of the ventricular activity, which can cause negative effects on hemodynamics and overall cardiac output. In biventricular pacemakers, the additional lead is placed in the coronary sinus where it can stimulate the left ventricle. The term cardiac resynchronization therapy, or CRT, is synonymous for biventricular pacing. It's important to note that pacemakers can record intrinsic cardiac activity and are able to respond appropriately. The pacemaker will sense intrinsic depolarization, meaning contraction of the atrium, if an atrial lead is present, and the ventricular contraction if a ventricle lead is present. Sensing is used to inhibit or trigger a pacing pole. This is referred to as the sensitivity of the pacer, and this allows the pacemaker to sense or see the patient's own intrinsic heartbeat. When there is normal cardiac activity, the pacing is inhibited due to the presence of a spontaneous atrial or ventricular activity or contraction. There is a fine line between oversensing and undersensing to make sure that the pacemaker is working appropriately. To sense correctly, the pacemaker must detect depolarization or contraction of either the atrium or the ventricle, but also ignore repolarization. Both the atrial and ventricular leads are programmed to sense a specific range of amplitude and frequency to prevent inappropriate pacemaker activity. When the pacemaker senses an intrinsic beat, it actually inhibits the pacemaker from triggering. We need to remember that the T wave is the most vulnerable wave of the cardiac cycle. And when a stimulus is sent during the repolarization or a T wave, it can cause ventricular fibrillation or V-fib. This is called R on T phenomenon. There is also a program-based which or a program-based rate which sets the lowest heart rate allowed. And if intrinsic cardiac activity is below that base rate, then it will initiate or trigger a pace, a paced beat. 
For instance, the base rate is usually set to 60 beats per minute, meaning that if a pacemaker does not sense depolarization to maintain a heart rate of 60 beats per minute, then it will kick in and deliver a pulse to stimulate contraction. The pacemaker can also have a max rate, which regardless of the atrial activity, the pacemaker will not pace at a frequency above that rate. Mode switching is a function on most pacemakers that prevents the ventricles from responding to supraventricular tachyarrhythmias and can indicate proximal atrial fibrillation if reported on the cardiac device checks that there's been multiple mode switching. When we talk about pacer modes, we usually refer to them with three-letter settings. There can be five or more letters um, that are sometimes involved, but for the simplicity of this podcast, we will stick to three basic mode settings, those being what chamber is paced, what chambers are sensed, and what is the result of that sensing. First, we look at what chamber is paced. It will be labeled with an A if atrial paced, V if ventricular paced only, or D for dual chamber or both atrial and ventricular pacing is occurring. The second letter letter indicates which chambers are sensed. Again, A for atrial, V for ventricular, D for dual chamber, or O for none. A patient that has no sensing and no response to sensing is set with a pacemaker that has a set frequency regardless of intrinsic heartbeat. This is called asynchronous pacing and can occur in one or both of the cha- of the chambers. Asynchronous pacing is rarely used, but it does set in when the battery is drained or when a magnet is placed over the pacemaker. I want to briefly touch on EKG changes that can occur when the patient has a permanent pacemaker and is in a paced rhythm. A sharp vertical line can be seen either prior to the P wave or before the QRS complex. These sharp vertical lines are the pacer spikes. If you see a pacemaker spike prior to the P wave, then this indicates that the patient has an atrial lead and is atrial paced. If you see a sharp vertical line prior to the QRS, this indicates that the patient is ventricularly paced. The patient can also be both atrial and ventricular paced, referred to as AV pacing, and you will see a sharp vertical pacer spike prior to the P wave and again prior to the QRS. More recently, there has been some advancement in creating leadless pacemakers, which incorporates a generator and electrode in a single unit. These are implanted into the right ventricle via a femoral approach. They are currently available for implantation in patients who require a single chamber ventricular pacer. Some patients will ask if their pacemaker will interfere with day-to-day activities like using their cell phone or traveling through an airport security system, but rest assured that this does not interfere with the pacemaker. However, it is important to note that not all pacemakers are are MRI compatible, and it may limit a patient from being able to receive an MRI in the future if needed. Now, some pacemakers are specific to MRI compatible, and that's something that you want to definitely address with the patient prior to any other um, testing that they may have done while they're in the hospital or in an outpatient setting. Another thing that I've recently learned was that when the patient is deceased and they wish to be cremated, it's important to note that the patient has a pacemaker because it actually needs to be removed before cremation or it can actually blow up the crematorium. 
Lastly, it's important to note that patients will have frequent device checks, and most often they will have every six-month in-clinic device checks, but then in between at a three-month period, they will actually have a remote check where the company can download information from their pacemaker from a home device that will give their provider um, any information regarding their heart rate and rhythm and any activity that is abnormal. This podcast is for general information review purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or nursing. The use of this information or any materials provided by Let's Review RN are at the user's own risk. This content is not intended to be a substitute for educational teachings through students' educational institutes or organizations.